we've been thinking a lot about an ecology outside of the institution. <clears throat> what does it mean to develop a spiritual ecology of of organizing? And you know, I use organizing in the broadest sense of a kind of a relational network of people who outside institutions or have letters um, on trust and relationship know how to get the work done. <laughs> From Portland, Oregon, I'm Joshua Kingsley. This is Practice Makes Perfect, exposing clergy stories of faith in action. On this episode, we get together with Michael Ellick at the Peace House, a community of prayer and service in Northeast Portland where he lives with his family. Michael has served as a pastor at Judson Memorial Church in New York City and First Congregational Church in Portland, Oregon. He currently works as the Director of Public Engagement at Ecumenical Ministries of Oregon. In my current job, I'm traveling all around, and I'm, I'm learning so much about Oregon, and, uh, but I'm meeting great people. And folks, it's like, wow, I had no idea what was happening in Medford. Yeah. You know? Okay, so what's your current job right now? My current job yeah. right now. <laughs> I mean, I try to think of jobs as clothes that are on the floor of a bedroom, but currently, I am the director of public engagement for Ecumenical Ministries of Oregon. Okay. Okay. I was a consultant for them. Now I'm doing this. Okay. But kind of around a specific project that um, is doing a couple things um, at once. And, and so the Common Table of Oregon was on one hand designed as a plan to bring together uh, faith institutions of all kinds, both on the right and the left, especially looking to bridge cultural divides, political divides. Um, and so we did that with a lot of the statewide leaders. We had retreats and whatnot. Now we're kind of building local hubs. So on one level, it's an attempt to map the impact of faith communities in the public square primarily around hunger and housing, because that's what people have in common across vast political divides. Not everyone shares a love of immigration reform like I do, or maybe you do. I know you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. LGBTQ issues. You know, there's so many things that we can look at, environmental, climate. This starts at something pretty basic. And so on one level, we're mapping uh, the town. So I get to go to places like Southern Oregon and figure out what everybody's doing and meet with them one-on-one. -on -one. And I'm not threatening because I'm just asking, what are you doing outside your church walls and who are you working with? But the idea is to build this map, number one, um, to uh, use it as a connective tissue between these groups so that we've had these amazing conferences with or workshops uh, Juan Carlos yeah. helped me design one of them um, with the state white leaders to bring together unlikely uh, pairings, specifically to draw together folks that maybe demonize, their communities might demonize each other at a distance. So there's this idea, this common table of kind of building friendships by finding what we have in common and arguing to people that the prophetic edge might not be the extremes anymore of our viewpoints, but 
but a friendship piece where metabolic relationship trumps intellectual detached Gnostic uh, identity. So that's one thing. But then the other thing that it's doing is it's paying me and Juan Carlos and Ron shortly um, to go around the state and just figure everybody out. So if we're going for common table and um, learning, wow, these, I just talked to these 30 faith leaders. If, if we discover there are people who are involved in interested in immigration, we're going to feed them to emerge or feed them to the climate work. So we're trying to create or nurture an ecology of yeah. faith-based engagement throughout the state. And not everyone will be in every project. Um, the housing map might be different than the immigration map versus the kind of the broad common table map. So I'm, I'm doing that with EMO, and, um, but I'm also, we're, we're kind of working out a partnership with the Lutherans, Melissa, Ron, people from that exact yeah, that moment. And, practice, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's what it grows out of. But it, right. but it comes to your point of this project that grows out of just relationships and friendships. Like that's really all that it is. And it's acknowledging that independent of the institutional clothing we wear, um, there's something that transcends that that has substance and heart, and we can count on it. And we can, we've built up a common analysis. We have shared engagements, even though we might all be in subtly different places. Um, so that's what I'm doing. Okay. I'm, I'm EMO, but kind of with an eye for that work. common table work initially is just mapping what everyone's already doing. So it's less about trying to get them to do something. And we're just drawing a circle around all the, I mean, you know, in Medford, it's first Presbyterian that does started just doing sack lunches to the guys who are sleeping outside. And it turns into like 400. Um, And then they're in relationship with the shelter. And so it's, it's learning all those kinds of local stories and trying to create a different narrative. We, we think that people of faith, uh, that there's an incorrect narrative in Oregon about what people of faith are and what they're doing. Um, down the road, if we create that map, our hope is to interpenetrate these communities and to have that community of mainline progressives working with uh, you know, evangelical churches that maybe they really disagree, or with the mosque and talent organ nearby that no one knows is there because they keep their heads down, or the Latino community that keeps its heads down. So, you know, Oregon has the number, highest number of hate crimes of anywhere in the country per capita. So in a, on one level, the common table is just to create cultural connective tissue between communities that don't realize they're part of the same body, but they are. They are. Down the road, other spawning things like emerge or housing, that might require different things or ask different things. And who feels called is who feels called. But um, for now, it's an organizing model, kind of redressed <laughs> a little bit. But but really, that's the core of what organizing is. It's not anything esoteric. It's just building friendships. That's all this is. I like the way you're describing it because I think so often, uh, especially especially in places like where I am right now, or kind of in, you know, in sort of like the, what we might think of as the, the, the middle strata of white society, 
mm-hmm. um, organizing is associated even unintentionally sometimes with like fighting or picking a fight. Totally. Right. And totally. Many people, myself included would say that there are certainly like times and places, right? Like just like every, every creature on this planet has some sort of defensive capacity to like create the boundaries that it needs for survival. Um, And I like the idea. Um, it's it's easy to proclaim a good news that says, you know, we're not we're not just looking for a fight. And no. maybe maybe that's one of the differences between sort of like what the right might pan as like a social justice warrior, totally. and what I hear you describing as like a person of faith. If we were gonna, if we were David Attenborough, how how would we even like observe and describe this person of faith in their oh, yeah. in their natural environment, right? Like, what what is this? Well, that's a big question. What is their natural environment? Yeah, right. It's being debated right now. But it's nice to think about how that that path <clears throat> also gets to a just and life giving place, and I mean, outside of just like some really extreme circumstances, usually can do so uh, nonviolently, yeah. and not just like materially not nonviolently but like emotionally nonviolently yeah, also right, right but it is complicated i mean on on one level whether i mean i really resist being called an activist or a social justice warrior i've never identified in this way i've been identified this way because we have such narrow definitions of what being a person of faith is and i mean i think the beginning and end of of this work is friendship building but on the issue of violence, we have to acknowledge that if we're placing ourselves as we're called to do by Christ in solidarity with the last, the least, and the lost, these are people who are the recipients of much violence. And so what does it mean for us to step out? I mean, you know, I'm a white, middle class, middle age, et cetera, et cetera, straight, boring, homogenized, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm the vanilla on top of the vanilla. And so it's very easy for me to talk about peacefulness and like, because everything's set up to serve me, but you know, we're called, um, we're called out of those safe boxes and it requires, I mean, a huge engine of violence to allow me to be safe and quiet inside my downtown church. It requires a huge violence to the planet and to the people. So it's complicated because although I'm not, a believer in a purveyor of violence or of like, we're going to pick a fight just to pick a fight. Uh, a fight comes to you almost immediately. And, you know, we're in the Shire here and it's very easy. Oh, it's so great. But this comes at a cost that people are paying. And one of those costs is our ignorance. So uh, it's complicated. I mean, I, I, I talking to those Latino communities in Medford, you know, they're, what does it mean to be a friendship movement is very different for them than it is for us. Augustine talks about the, um, his, he says he experiences God through mercy and contrition. Mm-hmm. 
like is the is the primary like emotive experiences that he knows that God's working with him. Yeah. Um, yeah. And sometimes that point that you just made that like really, whenever we talk about peace, I f- I feel like I'm simply just sitting in the eye of like a giant storm. And it just happens like it's not raining on me currently right yeah, now. Right. Um, but right. I know that it's just like a hurricane out there. Oh yeah. And I it's I feel incredibly contrite. Yeah. So contrite yeah. that sometimes I feel like just not participating in it. You sure. know what I mean? Like totally. just like I can't Yeah, you're paying attention. Yeah. Yeah, I get right? it. I get it. That was one of the hardest parts of moving from New York to here was we all felt like we were on the front lines of a certain American struggle. And there became obvious ways of engaging in that space. And that's not just a space where you're in solidarity with, with frontline communities. It's, it's the nature of a big urban city. But coming here, people did not have that sense of urgency or clarity. And I still don't feel as if they do. Yeah. And that's fine. Um, but it makes you, if you, if, if someone's house is burning and no one else can see it, you feel like an idiot. You know what I mean? And that's fine too. But it's hard for people with privilege, right? We have the option of just looking the other way. And most of our friends maybe do in a, in a place as comfortable as Portland. So how do you create the urgency around people who are in detainment facilities like Sheridan or you know, LGBTQ communities, so many different groups, the native reality of this state is still shocking and current the way we treat native communities. So it's complicated. Yeah, contrition. Like I can look at myself and realize what are the ways in which my default settings on, on waking up and being a human are the problem. Yeah. And so, but what does it mean? What does sobriety look like? (laughs) You know, with alcohol, you just stop drinking. How do I stop doing this? Will they feed me still if I pull out of the system? You know, if I decide that I'm not going to be a pawn in an institutional agenda, what happens to me? And let me tell you, they will cut off your food supply fast. Oh, yeah. I mean, they'll send you out in the cold. Don't you essentially become like a stateless individual? Yeah. Well, can you be? I don't know. I, I mean, but yeah, exactly. I mean, but that's the question. It's like on some level, we're breathing the same air. But what does it mean for us to disarm? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I don't carry guns around that I'm, I'm aware of, but we are part of that violent engine. And so what does contrition look like if I'm not, if I'm still doing it? Yeah. And it's different. If I'm just an asshole to you, like, oh, I'm sorry, Josh. But how do I do that for everybody else? And that's the question that I don't, I don't feel like we're exploring yet. The, even the progressive, let's go organize questions are aimed at uh, the under implicit at times. And, I, and our, our friends who we would all think of are more subtle than this. But, but implicit in a lot of organizing social justice work is like, oh, there's a villain over there. Yes. And I'm going to go solve, I'm going to go stop that evil corporation. Well, the corporation is funded off of the choices of me. Right. <laughs> so what does it mean for me not to participate? And that's not a question I hear our friends discussing in bulk. That's my critique of myself and of my friend group. Yeah. That it's easier for us to talk about issues that are out there and harder for us to figure out 
what does it mean for us to um, to not participate? And you know, on the question of institutions, I mean, this is a big one, right? Like, I'm not going to question them if my paycheck relies on them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like the Methodists can kick out whatever they want, and lives can count on it. We're like, oh, well, next. Right. You know. Right. So isn't that a shame? Isn't that a shame? Like, oh, yeah. too bad. It just didn't work like out. Yeah. It didn't uh-huh. work out. I mean, and it's life and death for people. Yeah. And it's just one more thing in between coffee appointments. So this is a scathing indictment of us and of myself, right? Yeah. And so for me, that institutional question of where our relationship is, I mean, do I live by faith in God that God will take care of me? Or do I believe in a system of institutional programs? that will actually defend me. And the reality for all of us is the latter. Like We don't rely on God for our food. We rely on our paychecks and the system for our food. Right. And I'm no better, but that's the question that, that, that we're going to either answer or we'll be forced to answer. Yeah. It's coming. Well, well put. I mean, it's just, that's where we are. And so these questions of like what we with volition choose I just don't know if I can participate in them anymore. Like, I have a hard time participating yeah. in a lot of the conversations of our friends. Yeah, yeah. And in the midst of all of that, yeah. you brought another human being into the world yeah, a couple I did. of years ago. I did. Yeah, yeah, I did. I mean, I have a lot of faith in God. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, yeah, I have a lot of faith in God. We lost two children. We have one. <laughs> so our, our, this is our, our uh, ecological math on our body's ability to produce duplicate copies. And no, I, I mean, I have a lot of hope in the world, but I don't have a lot of hope that things will remain the way they are. Yeah. And that's just... I mean, at this point, we'd have to be naive not to look. And again, this is one of those questions. For a lot of the world, the apocalypse came and went a while ago. It's these few gated communities at the high point of the mountain that the floodwaters haven't reached yet. Yes. Or I guess it won't be yes. floods for us. It'll be fire for us. Totally. It's, it, yeah, literally. Uh-huh. Flood was so last year. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? How right the biblical authors were. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's, right. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But yeah, it's, that's, that's a sobering thought. And and so what does us, what does it mean for you and I, with children, both of us, to be in right relationship with God and with creation? And for a long time, we've, we've been able or we've punted that question to what does it mean to be in right relationship with the institutional bodies that pay for us, that provide us housing? And that, that's a question we're not going to be able to run from for much longer. And I'm all for it. I mean, I think you can take these things on and off like clothes. But at some point, each of us has to make this decision. Like, where is my loyalty? Where's yeah. my loyalty? And, yeah. and like, I, I try to be honest with my coworkers where my loyalty is. And it's not an institution building. Yeah. So far, they still want to pay for me to exist. But that's, I feel like that's a question that I always want to, how do we develop communities that exist outside those structures? It's not, I mean, it's a work in progress. Okay. Yeah. 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 I think of that sometimes like um, reinforcing the remnant. 
yeah. you know, as much as possible. Like, like yeah. you're talking about, like knowing the fire's coming. Yeah. And that a lot of this is just going to get burned up. Yeah. And there will be a little bit left. Yeah. Um, and who, who is that? And how is a, when I start thinking of myself as a, as a, as a pastor or a priest, yeah. you know, uh, how do I help that prepare? Yeah. And carry on. Yeah. Do I know? I, I wonder if I know. Um, I mean, I really like what you say about contrition and what Augustine apparently does. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've read him, but because I worry at times that I'm still infected in the worldview of the empire and that I may not know. I may not know what that, and by the remnant, it might not be the remnant of the church. It might be the remnant of humanity. It might be the, the essential wisdom that you and I as priests might need are crop related. That could be right on yeah. some level. Yeah, I mean, not to well be so be. dramatic, yeah. you know what I mean? But yeah. it's something true. And so as, I mean, as you said before we were recording, like, the church's environment is going. And that's different in different parts of the world, but in our context, it's clear. Yeah. It's clear. I mean, this is so, yeah, we have a weird set of questions, but we're in this weird in-between space, too, where folks can leave and ignore it, and folks can go and ignore it. And so, yeah, when does that flood water, when does the fire and the smoke hit each of us enough to think, like, whether or not Portland and the church holds? I am mortal, and I will go. And so what's my, you know, what does it mean to flee Egypt in the middle of the night? What do I take with me? I don't know. What do you do to keep yourself, to keep that hope alive, to keep yourself um energized, uh, interested in like rolling out of bed mm -hmm. in the morning. Um so you know we live in community here. We um we practice lectio divina every morning other than Sunday morning. And uh and I'll, my wife and I are meditators as well. So we keep a nighttime practice. We do that publicly on Thursday nights with with more. But but living in a Christian community house, um, we, we get a structure to help support that practice. And that is a robust, both the practice of looking inward, um, but also the practice of looking outward. And um, you, know, you do not live here and have the option of ignoring the houseless. It's just not, it just doesn't really work yeah. really here. It might be in the kitchen when you come down for milk in the morning. And so that um, attempt is helpful and keeps me optimistic. Having children does. Um, but, of course, there's periods, you know, we lost a child this summer, so we've gone through periods of depression as well. Where you, and I think that's important. I think you get carved out by that stuff. Yeah. And that kind of, um, you know, I'm a really big believer in um, this idea that you've got to die before you die. Like, Jesus uh -huh. is pretty clear. It's part of that stuff we ignore. I, I was raised to ignore. So for me, it's less about maintaining joy some days as it is about, like, am, is that what we call hope? Holding up the structure that I mean to hold up? Yeah. yeah. Am, I, am I actually, is it joy in spirit, or is this just sort of allowing an illusion to continue? 
so we go back and forth between like, yeah, we we pray for alignment with God. We we meditate to be in relationship with God. But I mean, we've had a fair share of God bringing us bad news and bringing personal horror, and I think that's answers to prayer too. I mean, Jesus is really clear on that. Yeah, and and uh, so also allowing yourself to be transformed by the horrors that come for all of us. All of us lose the things we love eventually, all of them. And so do we do that in enough time to let that change us and learn to let go? Or do we, we keep holding on to false insurance policies? That's the tough one. So letting go of false insurance policies, totally. that's a big there one. That's a, that's a big gift we uh-huh. got this summer. Don't trust in anything. <laughs> it sounds macabre, but it is basic Christianity. Well, I mean, it sounds to some extent like almost like basic Buddhism too. Right? Sure. Like, like let sure. It, but go. I like the way Jesus says it better. Yeah, totally. I do. I <laughs> yeah. mean, I, I'm obviously I love the Buddhist stuff, uh-huh. but but it's so clear. Pick up your cross and follow me. Yeah. Pick up the thing that will kill you. Yeah. And f- let's go. Uh huh. Like it doesn't say run from it. He walks right towards that shit. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And and we're asked to do that. And that way of transformation is not about peace and harmony. Jesus, I'm going to bring fire to the world. I'm going to turn this against that. I mean, so that is the contextualized side by side with Jesus saying, I'm the peace I will give to you. I mean, wow, that's a huge disparate. Is it a contradiction? Or is there something we're learning about a deeper layer of peace that does not mean hunkering down for um, the kind of joy the way the world gives it? Yeah. And I worry about that. I worry that we peddle enough joy as Christian institutions, just to keep you going and feeding the machine. I mean, that's, that, seemed, that would seem like the opiate of the masses theory, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, like, that's true. Uh-huh. But I mean, look, I mean, you know, I, we're doing it. Yeah. We're doing that. And of the, our young folk, not always, not everywhere, but you could make this argument. And um, I mean, I do. I make that argument. I'm making it right now. <laughs> Woe unto me for doing it. But I've done it. I'm the chief. For sure. For I've, sure. I've, I've definitely done it. I mean, we're, you know, yeah. we're, we're hired hands to some extent. Yeah, we're hired that's hands. Our, that's our totally, job, totally. right? Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, we're hired to serve the machine. Now, it doesn't have to be that, right? No. And, and we can step out of those structures. But it does require a weird leap of faith to step out of those structures. And on some level, I remember being in between jobs where it's like, I have to choose right now. Am I going to take this job or be loyal to my calling? And I think that's a point we all have to make where we do have to risk our belongings and trust that God will take care of you. And that might come through an institution, but if you can make that choice, you're immune to them. There's nothing, like I'm willing to be homeless. I'm willing to be anything. Yeah. And, and I think that we all have to grapple with that. Otherwise, we'll always sort of pull our punch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not be honest. And it doesn't mean we're not in friendship. And it sounds confrontational to say that stuff, but it's, it's about being in right relationship with their neighbors around us mm-hmm. and saying, hey, I can still love you. <laughs> but, right. but I think there's a degree of truth-telling we're called to as well mm-hmm. about ourselves. There's a lot of power in not being attached to social status. or Big time. And, um, I mean, especially if we're going to talk about something like being homeless, there's also a lot of power in um, being able to exist on a spectrum of comfort. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's a lot of, uh, that's true. And, and we're not, 
you know, living in community, this is still a comfortable house. And, you know, it's not like we're there. Different parts when I was single, it was different. But yeah, I think there's a power. And I think those things are directly opposed. One of my mentors was like, um, you kids in seminary, you know, <laughs> grizzled old sea captain. You know, he's like, you don't train to do the work. You're trained to write books about yourselves doing the work. You're trained to take pictures of yourselves for your effing book jackets. Yeah. If I see a single post about this class, he used to say, I will kick you out. So one of you writes a book and I hear about it and you mention me, I beat you up. If this is an old Brooklyn <laughs> I guy. Love this, yeah. And I, I thought about that a lot. Like, we are trained under the guise of, like, oh, get the voice out there. Lift your voice. Mm-hmm. Lift it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, the internet, right? It's like um, it's a networking of the cell. Yeah. And in reality, we're still looking for approval from everyone. <laughs> yeah. And looking for a little um, security because we know God won't actually give it. We got to get it from being notable and from being. And I, I get. I, I'm not saying everyone who writes a book is bad or posts something, but that's such a pull for us totally. in a culture of spectacle. Totally. How do we not let that be our security too? Look yeah. at me. Yeah. Oh yeah. What's in the paper? Well, because that. I mean, that's that's what gets blasted out everywhere. Right. You know those old. Right. Um, I, I I can't think of a movie that has this in it, but it just is such a strong stereotype in my own consciousness of like a communist re-education camp. You know where there's like <laughs> these loudspeakers, yes. like every you know ten yards, they're just like blaring this yes. message constantly. And like, not saying that the United States is the same way because I'm free. I'm free to express my yeah. dissent. In you know, I I yeah. am free to be homeless. And that's right. And go through that journey if I want to be. Totally. And at the same time, it does feel like there's a loudspeaker to me every yeah. like 10 yards. It's kind of like blaring this message all the time. Yeah. Um, it's such a strong message that it's almost like we don't need secret police because we're all like we're all the secret. Police. It's right here in my head. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, totally. And to step outside of that and simply just kind of be like, well, this whatever yeah. we're doing has to stand on its own legitimacy yeah. and, and it will either, there will either be something as a result of it or yeah. not. It <clears throat> resonates with me too. The, the idea of, um, you know, going back to like being a musician and, you know, there are, there are legitimately some people who are called to be like music theoreticians, right? And yeah. they don't play music. Sure. <laughs> they, they only deal with music as it exists on a piece of paper. Yeah. Right. That's their world. And that's cool. Like it's cool. And they come up with like cool ways to analyze it. Um, that's not the same as like going to hear music though. Like for most people. That's right. Um, and the, the medium of music has to have performers. Yeah. It won't exist if it doesn't have to be live. Yeah. It's gotta be. That's right. And maybe, maybe the medium of faith also has to have performers. It could be. I don't know the answer, but, it, but there's that joy you have of playing that music. That is its own reward. Like, I, I mean, we haven't talked about this before directly. I know you're a musician, but I imagine that you started playing because you just love to play. Yeah. And you couldn't have, nothing else could have sustained your, you know what I mean? Yeah, Other yeah, than yeah. the love of playing. And like, how many places are we doing the thing just for the love of the thing mm-hmm. and not for that secondary payoff of this mm-hmm. abstraction. I mean, we're all, that's true for all of us. We've got to watch that stuff. But 
part of why we, you know, where do you get joy and hope in the work? Part of what we get from the houseless work here, it's not just like, oh, we're going to go help the poor. By making relationship with people who are in different strata of our society's caste system, there's a powerful, you, you get so many gifts. I mean, you know, yeah. serving dinner might be someone with a lot of money. Yeah. Side by side with everybody else, and then us in the middle, I guess, you know, middle class. But there's so much about uh, pulling out of that rat race and being with people and not just serving them, but being in community with people who are out. Yeah. They're out of our culture right now, you know? Uh-huh. Not everybody, but like that is a huge revelation because you start, here we are playing music. And we're down in the basement of this place, and it's just the joy of being together mm-hmm. and having a cigarette and a, playing something. It's 2 a.m. or in a street corner somewhere. Literally illegal to be there. Yeah. But there's something really like, wow, like you come home and like that's a full day, you know, and no one, there's no social posting about it. And I'm like, not against all that stuff. I just, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. it's not, uh, that stuff's great as an expression, just not as its own, you know? But I, I feel like ministry gets to be that too. That's why we don't leave it, right? Mm-hmm. We don't leave it. For all the crap that the church can be, there's still this story of connection beyond all the institutions that holds us. And that's, I mean, I'm a believer, man. Oh, like, totally. I'm, I'm there. You know, uh-huh. like, uh-huh. let's make friends with everybody until yeah. it hurts on the street corner. Yeah. Michael, thanks. 